Welcome to another edition of Let Me Tell You Something in our year-long project, The Meltzer Five Star Project. As myself, Lorca Mullen, and my co-host, Simon Cross, are watching every match that we can find that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher. And Simon, we are coming to the end of an era, the end of a decade, the end of a promotion, at least in the five-star match variety, as we are covering the final match of the 1990s that Dave Meltzer gave five stars to. It was from the 23rd of October. It's also the final match at the point of recording to be a five-star match hosted by All Japan Pro Wrestling, who up to this point had had a grand total of 33 five-star matches. Of which we Considering see... this is um, episode 69 we're on, that's quite yeah. a high number. Nice. Of... Oh, God. <laughs> I blame myself. <laughs> of which we've seen 32 of them. Um, and it is another tag team match. And Mitsuhara Misawa is once more involved, as he has been for the past four matches. Uh, past three matches, four of the last five matches. So this is five for six for him. Uh, six in total for 61 to 70. Uh, sorry, seven in total for 61 to 70, but we'll get to the final one of those when we uh, in the next episode um he is tagging up with his latest protege Yoshinari Ogawa to take on his previous two partner slash proteges in Kent Kabashi and Junakiyama of the recently formed Burning Faction and it's for Masaru Ogawa's world tag team titles it's funny how it's just another sign of like the the gradual shifting of the um the uh, power dynamics, I suppose. That Kabashi is now essentially Misawa's main rival for the top t- top status, and Junakiyama has, you know, left his former captain, as it were, mm. to essentially try and become to Kabashi what Kabashi was to Misawa, but when they were part of the sort of the Super Generation Army. Yeah. Well, logic decrees if there's two people at the top table, there's two slot, there's two learning trees to sit under. And Nakayama's just stepped himself to um, a different horse. I imagine he's learnt all he can off Misawa and wants to see what's in the new direction. Neither man is willing to show any reverence to their former partner or leader, though. Uh, Akiyama, very early on, um, gives Misawa what for, and so does Kabashi when they fight each other. Ogawa's an interesting one. The problem that Ogawa always had, and we have seen him before in um, two tag team matches, I believe. We saw him teaming up with Masanobu Fushi to take on Kent Kabashi and Soyoshi Kikuchi, and this was all the way back in 1992 for the All-Asia Tag Team titles. And he had also previously been involved in a six-man tag match, I think, with Masawa and Kabashi against uh, Kawada and... Uh, Taway and Tamon Honda. Tamon Ho- no, it wasn't Tamon Honda. Ah! Uh, you've made this mistake before. You specifically, not me. Never do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Unless I've got this wrong and Ogawa hadn't actually been in the second match in the slightest. But no, I, I'm never wrong. It was uh, Masawa, Kabashi, and Akiyama teaming up against Kawada, Tawe, and Ogawa. That was the thing where I was going. Ah, my lad. So the sides have sw- they've switched sides essentially now. Um, the, but yeah, the problem that Ogawa always had, so he's not some young up-and-coming rookie like uh, Akiyama was um, up to a point like uh, Kabashi was. He's a long-established junior heavyweight. I think he's the ace of the junior heavyweight division at this point, having taken over from Masanobu Fushi. Um, but he never quite solidifies a place in the heavyweight division, even when he's in Noah, even when he actually wins the GHC heavyweight title. And he is noticeably smaller than everyone else involved in this match, and, and, and thinner. And in Japan, that's a big deal, the difference between the juniors and the heavyweights. Even though juniors are given more of a spotlight than they often are in America, they are also placed in a clear second division, as it were. Yeah. Um, and Oga- well, Although Ogawa, I think, does play up to the junior heavyweights' advantage of quickness in this match. He's very fast. He's constantly trying to evade Akiyama and Kabashi, and he it's sort of he gets the better of Akiyama actually quite a lot in this match, which is interesting to watch. Yeah. Well, he does, he does have that experience thing. I know Akiyama is obviously heavier, but he is more inexperienced, you know. Yeah. So Ogawa's clearly very gifted technically on the mat and and very quick. Um, he. And he, and he and there's also more of a sense of teamwork like he, he pushes Akiyama into his corner where Masawa greets him with an elbow and, and catches him with a roll up I think that was one of the things he was very good at catching people in like little pinning combinations very quickly like he got a couple of very fast wins over Akiyama by just catching him in the right inside cradle or roll up or what yeah. have you um, but yeah it's it's just kind of a it's, it's a fairly um, it's a fairly conventional tag team match I would say a very well wrestled hmm. conventional tag team match yeah I don't really have um, a lot more to add uh, in relation to that he, he they keep um, I like the way that Agara comes across in this match or because he, he you're right about that they're saying um he looks smaller and thinner, but he doesn't get chucked about like a smaller or thinner man would. You know what I mean? He, he holds his own somewhat compared to the bigger men. <clears throat> but he's not really memorable. Like, yeah. yeah, you know what? We've had this conversation when others join, uh, well, the, the wrestling equivalent of the Beatles, um, when it's someone different to Tawe, Kawada... Kabashi or Misawa, like do the trouble it the, the the trouble they always have is do they belong and Akiyama's the, the only one that's really felt like he belongs, but he's also the one that yes. they put the most into, and so the yeah. one that they kind of probably instructed Kawada and Tawe, you make this guy look good. Yeah. Exactly. So they they've had to make they've made a conscious effort to try and get him to the top table. Not that they're not trying to make their opponents look good, but it just doesn't seem like any what anyone else has caught on, and that was one of the problems with all Japan, and one of the factors that people believe led to Misawa's um, untimely end was the fact he was having to do so much for so long because they didn't grow, mm. they didn't expand. Yeah, Misawa. Um, well, I think it's also just they they 
I don't want to say flukes, but just basically three of the best wrestlers, three or four of the best wrestlers of the past 50 years in Japan. Arguably, at least, you can make the case for at least two of them maybe being the best wrestlers of all time in, in Masaru and Kabashi. All yeah. happen to be in this promotion and of similar sort of age ranges that they could all go in their prime against one mm. another. And it happens, it doesn't just happen in wrestling, it happens in all sports. You look at the three kings of um, heavyweight boxing in like the 70s, 80s. You look at what we're going to getting towards the tail end of now in tennis, uh, in the men's divi- division of tennis. Um, you look at poor examples of it not being used efficient, a uh, great example of it not working efficiently. Uh, the English golden generation, all the talent was there, it just didn't get applied. Um, now Belgium are somewhat having the same problem in terms of you look at the talent they've got, could they be doing better than they are? It's a, it's a tough argument. I'm not going to go down into that wormhole. But the point is, it's very rare to get everyone great together. That's why certain football teams do stick out in history, like Brazil in the 70s, why golden eras of sports stick out when it's not one man dominating, it's a group at the top table. Do you get where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's It's funny, actually, how... The key, one of the great things that All Japan do in their tag matches is um, um, time the interactions between key rivals. When we mm. had the Super Generation Army against the <clears throat> Jumbo's Army, there were mo- you know the, the moments that Masaru and Jumbo were in the ring together. Suddenly, the crowd amps up a bit, and there is that sense of yeah. this is playing part of a longer narrative of their singles rivalry. And now we're getting that whenever Masaru and Kabashi specifically are in the ring together, mm. it is being defined by because it is that sense and that plays right into the end of the match that um, Kabashi is now to Misawa what Misawa was to Saruta and Misawa yeah. is now the Saruta figure in this in this equation. You, you become everything you once hated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you think though when people have like a group that are like at another level compared to their contemporaries that they are. They could become way too over reliant on them. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. To flip back to uh, Wimbledon's on during the time. Well, just about to wrap up during the time of recording. So I am going to use a couple of tennis analogies. Uh, they were talking about how obviously no one's broke through to sit at the top table with Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, and uh, that is an outright competitive sport. But it just is. Is it intimidating to like the guys in the back? Like that, people are just that good, and like how hard, how hard it is to get to that level. It's a, it's a question of also how complacency can set in on a wrestling front because Babel was always a conservative booker. Yeah, and it, it, like I said, he probably should have maybe put the, pulled the trigger on Kabashi in the '99 match, had him beat Masao for the triple crown then, and they've held off. And when a few months down the line we have the first Noah show. Masawa has Akiyama pinning him, and I think pinning Tawe in the uh, in two straight falls in a tag match, and then Akiyama turning heel, and then almost immediately Masawa says it's going to be Akiyama against Kabashi going forward. 
yeah. then, then fate intervened, unfortunately. So you can't quite make the direct analogy because sometimes you don't have the talent there that you can build up that they could even be given the opportunity in the first place. But mm. they could have they could have done more. They could have scouted better talent. They could have found better talents. Um, you know, this is around the period of time that guys like very talented wrestlers like Nagata and um, Nagata and Nakanishi and Tenzan and Kojima are all starting yeah. to make their mark in New Japan. They got screwed over on a booking perspective um, because Inoki was a madman in the early 2000s. Um, I think Inoki but, was a madman. You don't have to put a time period against it. But also at this time, the the hot young prospects were the junior heavyweights, the Marafujis and the, and the Kentas. Mm. And those guys are every bit as talented as Masawa and Kabashi and Kawada and definitely Tawai. But also because of their frame, like when, when Masawa did book them, we're kind of bleeding into the next episode here. Yeah. Because there's not a lot to say about this match. To be honest, we watched it about a week ago and then we couldn't get the recording in time. And I'm going through my notes and there's not a lot I'm remembering. But that, that also makes it sound like I'm shitting all over it and I'm not. It's a good match. But I'm just not saying it's a five star match, really. Yeah, well, that's the pro- we say this all the time when uh, we have a just. Uh, see, I'm doing it now by saying just a good match. We're watching for, we're watching the cream of the crop. That's the whole purpose of this project. So there are going to be things that are very good that just don't sound good the way we describe them comparatively. That's sadly the reality of of the situation we're in. Mm. And maybe that's a failing on our part, not using the right terminology, but, you know. But again, you're just getting quite a lot of the same stuff, really. There's a few head drops, there's suplexes being reversed, there's there's finishing straights now where Kabashi's desperately trying to put down Masawa. Um, yeah. There's a... Yeah, there's a bit where um, he hits a lariat... Then a standing lariat, and Ogawa has to save Masawa at that point. Uh, Ogawa and Akiyama knock Ogawa out the ring. Uh, sorry, Akiyama and Kabashi knock Ogawa out the ring with a double shoulder block. Akiyama hits Masawa with the running knee, and then Kabashi follows that up with a lariat. And then we see it the burning hammer. I think maybe only the second time Kabashi's been able to do that move. It's essentially the Masawa killer. Yeah. Is what this move is. Because the first time he debuted it, it was to beat Masao, and now he's beating him again for the titles in this one. He tried to use it in both of the um, uh, Triple Crown matches, have been unsuccessful in getting it done. Mm. Yeah, um, it's it's been building, obviously, the use of the hammer. And obviously, even though it was used once previously, it, it has such a reverence. But again, it's... The way that... Sorry. I was just going to say, the way that Masawa tries to escape it, like his very life depends upon it, because it does. That's a great way that an opponent can build a move by not being hit by it. Yeah. Again, it just adds um, another layer to the uh, list of how Masawa was so good at what he did. Yeah. And like I said, as before, it's the tiering of the levels of successes that that Kabashi's getting over Masawa. He's beating him in a tag team match. He does it again. He can beat him in a Champions Carnival match, and he does again in 2000 before the big split happens, Very uh, just before the big split happens. 
um, and he does it and uh, and he wins again but it's for the title that's the key thing um, and he has yet to do that but Simon will he do it in our next episode I feel like we've we've already gone through it all neither of us are giving this five stars no but we'll talk briefly though about the fact that this is the end of all Japan uh, until maybe there'll be a five-star match in the next year or so, probably involving Kento Miyahara. I was going to say, we're starting to get close again. Yeah, yeah. Belzer is basically saying that he's the best worker in the world right now, maybe, alongside the likes of Will Ospreay and Kazuchika Okada. Do you think, um, what I was going to say, is do you think there's a potential that he could jump from All Japan to New Japan? Um, I think it's possible. Uh, New Japan obviously needs more and more talent, but I think they would like to get some from outside of Japan as well. Uh, mm. Obviously, getting John Moxley is a big game for them in the short term, but I can't. But they haven't them. permanently got Moxley, have they? We don't know one way or the other yet, really. I uh, think once the TV deal uh, kicks in for AEW, he's not going to be around. I think he's just bucket listing this G1. It's possible, but I also think that John Moxley might demand on special dispensation. Because Chris Jericho also has that with New Japan, so he yeah. might be turning up for matches here and there. Like if if all if AEW aren't running a show on Wrestle Kingdom, I think John Moxley might be allowed to pop over there. And you know, I'm I'm very curious to see how he's booked throughout the whole course of the G1 that will have been probably wrapped up by the time this comes out, or coming close to being wrapped mm. up by the time this comes out. Uh, and I would like to see his young lion make an AEW appearance. You know, just like. Not 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 join full time, but that'd be a well, nice. Well, they couldn't. They couldn't until there was. A, they couldn't until there was a cross promotion agreement in place with yeah. New Japan, and, and apparently New Japan are quite frosty towards AEW at the moment. Yeah, so, and um, New Japan. I don't know if they're still tied into their Ring of Honor thing as well. Well, they're they're promoting three shows in in um, a few months' time in the Northeast that don't have any Ring of Honor involvement by the looks of it. So maybe yeah. we're coming to the end of that relationship. Um, but what I what I just want to talk about, I guess, with all Japan is that what what's all Japan presented during this period was that King's Road style. Um, we'll see a couple more examples of that with Noah. Yeah, but we'll never get quite this sort of match again. We're going to go to New Japan, which obviously has its own strong style. Although you can obviously see the influences of this era of all Japan wrestling on New Japan. Like the matches mm-hmm. now in New Japan are longer, they're they're much longer than they than the um, equivalent matches usually were in New Japan in the nineties. Um, the the near falls, the deeper psychology, the less emphasis on strikes. Like someone like Kazuchika Okada and and really Hiroshi Tanahashi don't have many strikes in their arsenal. They're not constantly going to the elbows or the chops or the kicks like Kawada and. Yeah, and Masara and Tawe, but also like Nagata and and everyone else did. Um, yeah, just and it, it we'll see it bleed through. It's funny because when we when we get to the next match, the the landscape of wrestling has changed, and that and that Masawa Kabashi Kawada style is so prevalent with guys, especially like Samoa Joe, mm-hmm. uh, who then bring it to America, and then we get to the point that. Japanese stars are making it in America as well, um, and I think that the all Japan tapes are, are along those lines. You know, these things, these things were getting traded like hot potatoes on the underground wrestling scene, underground wrestling fan scene in the late nineties. 
Um, yeah. When we get to a match in a couple of episodes' time when uh, Kent Kabashi steps onto American soil, um, that reception shows how much it meant at this time. So his influence is felt, but there's never going to be matches quite like this in the future. Like yeah. I'm saying that, that, uh, and that, it is weird. Um, that no-selling culture that was starting to spread at this point with the pop-ups kind yeah. of got bastardized to an extreme in, in the US indie wrestling scene. Yes. Um, whereas here it was still kind of... It's very rarely used. Mm. Uh, like, it doesn't take too much away, but nor does it... I don't know, I've got very mixed feelings about it. I think if you use it right, it's fine, but I guess I'm, I guess watching the wrestling we have over the last decade, I've seen it used wrong far more often. Yeah. We'll also see, we'll never see another promotion as no-nonsense as All Japan in the presentation. You know, we won't see those... It's very um, sporting contest-esque, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't feel... The aesthetic of an All Japan show in 1979, if you watch that on YouTube, to one in 1999, really does not look that different. Yeah. The, the, the attire is much more basic. The spotlights on the ring, the ring is... Mm. The ring design changed slightly. We lost that really cool half and half red and blue oh, yeah. ring thing that was quite a cool visual um, do you reckon and, and obviously that is a, that was a conscious decision they've made to stay the same throughout possibly leaning further into Baba's conservatism beyond booking in terms of just like presentation of his product do you think that was like a not the main handicap do you think that was also a handicap in terms of like I think as time went on as thing as time went on yes you needed to have a bit more razzmatazz yeah um, especially when you look at when you look at like in two thousand two thousand and one when Pride suddenly takes over Japanese uh, sporting culture and really does uh, leads to the the really dog days of Japanese wrestling not just in yeah. New Japan not just in all Japan and but New Japan and, and oh, I always had a bit of a soft spot for Pride but you know what I, I mean that that folks. presentation and kind yeah. of the freak show nature of it and like the entrances and and. So much more, you know. Really, the closest you get to that now, what how the All Japan presents it is what UFC does because UFC they did briefly have the entrance ramp and everything and the light mm. shows and uh, more pro wrestling. What would be the idea of pro wrestling, uh, razzmatazz? But now they don't do that. They come from backstage and they make their way to the octagon and yeah, that sort of bare bones presentation of the fighting itself they have notable exceptions i think mcgregor still has like a bit of lights and but you know what i mean he doesn't get yeah. like they, they no he doesn't get pyro he doesn't, he doesn't get a dedicated round Azim hamed making his entrance and you know that if connor was given the opportunity he would do a prince nazim hamed in entrance yeah. yeah i think that's very much a boxing thing still on it in its own little world mm. um AJ has his big entrances. I don't know how big his entrances will be now. Now, now he's got a one on his record. But yeah, like this, this really no nonsense. Like there wasn't, there would never ever once in any All Japan matches that I can think of any outside interference, anything like that, or, or run-ins or post-match angles. It's really all down to what happens in the yeah. ring. And obviously, even though Japan looks. It's a very insular world, um, culturally, most of the time anyway. Um, the world was expanding 
people were getting like you know satellite tv the internet was starting to grow there you look at what we just watched in 1999 and wrestlemania was what wrestlemania 16 in 99 uh, it was 15 no it's 15 sorry i do apologize and that had the rock austin's first wrestlemania match obviously all the bells the, the video packages that pr- go beforehand the, the the very way wrestlemania looked in comparison to the way that all all japan shows looked i know i'm picking the extreme really, example the only, the only thing that would denote changes in the cultural technology is that like the match graphics were a little bit fancier yeah like the fonts were a little sharper and colorful more colorful yeah but that people were i guess because there was like and also the way the the wrestling happened and like the presentation of like women which is a whole big bit of like a thing in itself the the wackiness yeah yeah there's just like a I don't know. There was just like, there was something different that people had access to in 1999, which they may not have had so much access to when all Japan started, and maybe it didn't adapt to combat its competitors, and maybe it wasn't th- wasn't thinking internationally. Well, maybe it should have been. The world was shrinking in the late 90s and continues to shrink. Mm. I mean, ultimately, the the departure of all the Noah talents. That's obviously a massive hammer plug. Like I said, all that was left in all Japan at that point then of the native talent was Kawada and Masanobu Fushi. And that forced them to open their doors ultimately and, and lead to a interpromotional work with New Japan. But again, mm. it's just basically at that point Kawada against New Japan and then Fushi comes in. Um, and then... In 2001, All Japan just suddenly, be- suddenly becomes the Kijimuto show. Because um, Kijimuto had always loved All Japan wrestling and had always wanted to wrestle Masawa. And, you know, it was always All Japan. Well, New Japan as well, that just never allowed interpromotional work to happen. Whereas New Japan, like I said, were doing loads of stuff, especially in the junior heavyweight division, but also in the heavyweight division with WAR, uh, Michinoku Pro Wrestling, FMW. All, all those sorts of people. Um, all Japan very much just shut its doors and said, we're working with our talent, our gaijin, no one else, It really. Um, like I said, they were bringing talent like Vader and Gary Albright that had made their name in other promotions, Yeah, but it wouldn't be as members of those promotions. It would be a new acquisition. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of 2001, start of 2002, Kiji Muto leaves New Japan in order to be able to run All Japan. And the All Japan under Kijimuto is very different to the All Japan of, of the Giant Baba era. He's and and they never reached the heights that they did previously. You know, it was it was basically Muto, Kojima, Kawada for a while, but then Kawada ended up leaving the ship. Kawada did get his finally get his long run as triple crown champion in a 2002 or 2003 time he held it and he won and he defended it one more than Misawa ever managed <laughs> um, and one of those defenses actually interestingly i don't know if you know this was against one uh, uh mick foley he really the title against mick foley very soon after mick foley's um i want to say i think it was his backlash match against randy orton he basically a few week few days later went to all japan and uh faced uh kawada not a bad week, that. 
Yeah, very weird time for him. Let's let's have a look at it. So yeah, he won the title. Yeah, so he got the and also Shinya Hashimoto was brought in. Like they they made relations with Zero One, and there were a lot of a lot of ex WWF wrestlers uh, during that time, like D'Lo Brown and and Rosie and Jamal mm. and uh, Jamal who then became Umaga. Uh, when he went back toward Japan. So in, so Kawada got the belt and he was able to defend against Tenru, Hashimoto, Foley, Jamal, Takeo Omori, Osamu Nishimura, Taiyo Kia. That was the other one that, that stayed with all Japan. Manuak, Manuika Mossman uh, then renamed himself as Taiyo Kia, uh, a Hawaiian talent. Defended against Hiroyoshi Tenzan, Kensuke Sasuke before losing it to Satoshi Kojima. And ah, Kojima okay. was sort of the ace of all Japan as well, so it was. It just never, never ever reached the heights that it previously did. Uh, Kojima went back to New Japan. Uh, uh, Muto eventually formed his own Wrestle One promotion, and now, interestingly, all Japan is run by Jonakiyama. It all goes hey. back full circle. <laughs> Yeah, he Good to see he's still doing well. Yeah, he returned to uh, all Japan in the late, in the mid 2010s, early 2010s, I believe. And um, yeah, it's just kind of, it is what it is. And hopefully as time goes on, they'll build up again with guys like Miyahara and um, Suwama, who are sort of their homegrown talents. They have, they've always had this uh, guy, Jin guy called Joe Doring. If you look at him, he does kind of look like a, a, a giant, a Stan Hansen sort of knockoff. Yeah. They 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 do love that though. Like Lance Cade when he yes, was. Yes, um, yes, he was also clearly in the, in the Baba mold. And like yeah. I said, if if Bradshaw had ever just had a falling out with the WWE or just been released, he would have been snapped up by All Japan immediately, probably. Yeah. And uh, had a decent run there, I would have thought. But anyway, we've talked about this a lot. Um, I guess because even though we didn't talk much about the match. Because I guess we wanted to give All Japan one last farewell. And it was maybe a bit slipshot, this uh, conversation. But you can't win them all. Hey-ho. I would... Yeah, it's... Because obviously one of the reasons, as I've mentioned before, that I went into this is to expand my horizons. And you look at what my top ten consists of now, as you like to point out, and how much All Japan stuff is in it. And we'll have to see with our next list how much more All Japan's in there. And also, maybe most interestingly, how much All Japan is still in there. When we get to the end of this list, yeah, I mean that'll be the real question. But I, I have, I've just, I think some people say '90s All Japan Wrestling is the peak of wrestling. I, I would agree with that. Well, it's, it's quite obvious to say that I would agree with that, considering what you my genuinely mate, would it, say this is the peak of wrestling. <clears throat> I reckon there's a case for it. Mm. Um, I wouldn't say like, I, I, I wouldn't say it stands alone above all of us. I think wrestling has lots of peaks and this is definitely one of them i think increasingly people want to show off their knowledge their, their understanding of in-ring psychology and weirdly yeah. i think that the the nxt stuff with the longer main events and mm. the multiple big large scale moves and, and kickouts and um deeply layered psychology over the course of the match is where the all japan influence lies still to this day yeah um, and I'm sure Johnny Gargano has watched his fair share of Misawa, Kawada, Kabashi, and Tawe matches. I'm very sure they all have. I'm like, yeah. I, I think for many people, this is probably these are the tapes that are trading that make them what really want to be wrestlers. You know, 
Yeah, and also it's it's strangely the stuff that's the easiest to get your hands on because you got you know I would recommend you get your New Japan World subscription and yeah. and watch it through legal means. But at the moment, there's like I said, because the All Japan Pro Wrestling art um, viewing rights were actually owned by the TV channel, not All Japan themselves. Um, it's kind of that there is no All Japan World equivalent with a deep archive yeah. for you to go into, which is a shame. They do have a streaming service. Um, and maybe maybe some champion carnival time in the future we might we might give it a watch or like I said hopefully Kento Miyahara pulls that five star match out that the Meltzer seems to think he's inevitably going to get and we can look at what all Japan looks like now. And I hope the Budokan Hall that much anymore. I'll yeah. tell you that I don't know how I don't know when the last Budokan Hall show was that they did, but they're pretty much just Krakow and Hall is the location of all their triple crown matches these days. It's a lot of pressure on his shoulders because you got to feel if he does well, deliver that five-star. If he does deliver that five-star match, then he gets uh, the eyes on the product. So I hope he does. I really do hope he does because... It's not just him. There is other talent there, but it's just he's the one that's sort of seen as... He's the closest at the like moment. Like the guy that you would, if you were to make the case of this guy being... Yeah, the last Budokan Hall show that um, All Japan held was in 2005. That's yeah, a long time. So many of them. It was main evented by uh, Toshiaki Kawada and Taiyo Kia against Genichiro Tenru and Masanobu Fushi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see that that just shows that you're not growing a lot of talent, though, mm. doesn't it? Mm. But anyway, there's not much left to say. They are hold. They they have held some shows at Sumo Hall. Their last show at Sumo Hall, by the looks of it, was uh, in August 2017. Maybe okay. this maybe this list hasn't been updated since then. With guys like uh, Ultimo Dragon against Tai uh, against Tajiri for the All Japan Junior Heavyweight Title. Right again, not not bringing the youth through there. Right, right. Being made, oh God, Dory Funk Junior's on there against Masanobu Fushi and the Great Kabuki. <laughs> All right, that emphasizes my point. Yeah, they'll get there eventually. I'm sure of it. Well, I'm not sure of it, but they're still alive, and a lot of people didn't expect that at True. various points. So, there's always a chance. But anyway, there's nothing much left to say except our next match, Simon. Where are we going to, and how long a wait have we had to wait for another five star match in between? So this is a four year gap. A that, four that we're about, year gap, which is mad considering some some of the deaths well, we've had in let's, some let's years. Let's go through each of the years up to that point. We've had five star matches in 83, There has been a five star match every year from 83 to 99. So the longest wait you've had in between is like months. Three. Well, you know, well there's one gap that was like 615 days because it was April 87 and ah, okay. it was December 88. Yeah. But so that's the longest gap there is 615 days. But Still a hell of a lot less than four years yeah. though. Well, yes. The next gap that we have is 1,225 days. But 1,225 days after Kabashi finally got that big pin over Masao for a title, he's challenging for a title again. What is he doing? Sorry. Hey. Uh, he's going for the uh, GHC title um, at, in Noah. We're, we're going to a new promotion uh, this time. First Noah match we're obviously doing, and it's against Mitsuharu Misawa. Funnily enough, mm. the more things change, the more they stay the same. Hey, Lorcan. 
Well, if people want to get in touch with you in the interim period, it won't feel like three year, four years for you, but it might feel like a mere minute if you've been if you're downloading these after the fact. How can they do so, Simon? Uh, then get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of heavyweights that were in this tag team match. Very good. My name's Lorcan Monon. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for All Japan. N for Nippon Budokan. That's my email address if you put an at gmail.com at the end of it. But if you get rid of the at gmail.com and just get want to look for me, I'll be on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Letterboxd and the like. Uh, if you want to follow, want to get in touch with the show, maybe have a quick email question just before our next debrief episode, then it's lmtyspod at gmail.com. But anyway, there's nothing much left to say from me at this point except my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. I can see the stars from America. I wonder, do you see them too? So open your eyes and see The way our horizons meet And all of the lights will lead Into the night with me And I know these scars will